My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. An absolutely devastating week in Israel and extremely difficult to know what's going on and to understand its impact. Who better to lead us by the hand through what took place and its knock-on effects for U.S. politics and the world than Marion McKeown of the Sunday Business Post in Washington right now. Marion, how how are you doing this week? Well, it's been a a really, I think, difficult week for everyone in Washington and beyond, and and just the frustration. This this the horror of this, the horror of this attack, and and what we're seeing Israel do in response to the attack is. Sort of is kind of colliding with a period in American politics that is so dysfunctional and so paralyzed within itself at every level, virtually. That that I, I really think that America sees itself in real danger as being viewed as a diminished player, and I think that there there is also a multiple political subtext here because obviously there's an election next year. Joe Biden is determined that he will be seen as the ultimate friend of Israel because that will be very important come the election uh, and that he will be seen as an absolute stalwart. Now, Biden has always been a very, very strong defender of Israel, but this will be seen through a political prism as well of who would have done it better, Republicans or Democrats. Of There are all kinds of political games going on here blaming Biden uh, for the $6 billion, uh, transfer of funds, which is still sitting in an account in Qatar, which Iran has not got its hands on, trying to imply that Iran is responsible for this and Biden is responsible for Iran being responsible. It just goes on and on. But in the meantime, uh, and I think these are things, there is no um, speaker in the, uh, on the Capitol Hill. There's no sign of any speaker being elected on Capitol Hill. So things like funding, the, 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 the committees that apportion funds in these situations can't function because Republicans nominally at least control the House. In the Senate, you have, to my mind, an even more disgraceful situation where you have Tommy Tomerville, Tomerville the senator from Alabama and a big supporter of Donald Trump's, who is still blocking 
military appointments from being made. Not with, and so you have a situation where at the moment, from America's perspective, you have no Congress that can authorize funding for military aid to, to Russia. You have key Middle Eastern appointments in the Navy, the command structure, etc. They're all empty at the moment. They can't be filled. You have no ambassador to Israel, to, to Egypt, to any other Lebanon, any of the surrounding states, because they, their appointments are being slow walked. Um, and you just have this. America is looking so inept right now, notwithstanding that Biden in Tony Blinken has really got an exemplary Secretary of State. And we've said this before in this program. This is a man who has diplomacy in his DNA. He knows how to operate. He knows how to be quietly effective. But in this situation, he's really hamstrung. And now you have a situation emerging where because of Israel's tactics in responding, it's very, very likely that this is going to make things very difficult for America because America has said we stand with Israel and basically given Israel a green light to do what America thinks Israel feels it must do. There were a couple of caveats from Joe Biden where he said we know Israel will observe the rule of law, will observe the rule of international law and it's a democracy and therefore it respects human life and human rights. Well, so far Israel has done anything but it has violated about half a dozen international rules of law in its response already. And this is going to make life difficult for America because now you have, it, it will make it harder to bring allies together, to bring Middle Eastern allies together to stand behind Israel. Um, and I think it also shows that the Middle Eastern policy, going back America's Middle Eastern policy, and we can get into a couple of bits that will illustrate, has been a catastrophic failure for decades mm -hmm for decades, and that Biden's policy, Joe Biden came in as president, and his thing was, Jake Sullivan, his national security advisor, who is super smart, is, we are going to redefine policy so it works for the American middle class. This is what our foreign policy is going to be about now. This is what our national security policy is going to be about. And the, the, one of the, the pieces of that jigsaw was, we're taking on China. China's going to stop cheating us. China's going to stop taking our jobs. China's going to stop flooding America with lousy, cheap imports. Um, and obviously then Ukraine uh, blew up. And that was something that took a lot of attention, which I think most people will agree Biden's administration has handled very well, notwithstanding Republican intransigence. But I think one of the things Biden did do and decided was, you know what, we're just going to ignore the Middle East. That's just a shit show that's been going on since 1967. We're not going to be able to fix it, so let's not expend energy there. And they have decided, much as Israel decided, let just just leave Hamas running Gaza. Let them just do what they want there. They're keeping that under control. They're basically the wardens for an open prison. And we'll, we'll just leave it at that. And we'll ignore Israel and Netanyahu's attempts to just overrun the West Bank, to beef up settlement, to, to make sure there's no Palestinian state ever. Uh, and I think Biden irresponsibly, okay, you have a limited amount of resources, but he irresponsibly uh, did what his predecessors had largely done. Now, obviously, Trump went in and cozied up to the Saudis 
and and uh, moved the embassy from Tel Aviv, the US embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was seen as very provocative at the time. But that was a self-interested game that Trump was playing. And before that, Obama was in effect in the Middle East. He totally mishandled Syria. Um, and before that, you had uh, well, the Bush, the Bush administration is really, as with so many things, where so much of the rot and the current chaos can be directly attributed to. And before that, you had Clinton, who did try, who tried to to get Arafat to sign off in the final days of his administration on the court, who pushed through the the Oslo Accords in 1993, and who was probably the most effective. But in the end, Arafat pretty well walked away. Second Intifada started in 2000, and that was that. Uh, so I, I think that if you look at the the long series of US missteps, uh, where they went from mangling the situation to what they would call benign indifference, which I would regard as malign indifference, because you cannot be indifferent to the Middle East. You cannot be indifferent to the suffering of the Palestinians in particular and expected to just continue on indefinitely. Now, I think it's really important to make the distinction between Hamas and Fatah. So basically, for, for the gang out there, and I'm sure they know this, uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. It's a terrorist organization with a, a, a government arm, basically, that, that um, it's completely in control of Gaza. Gaza is the strip along the, the coast at, um, at the bottom of Israel, near the Egyptian border. It's, it's, it's three sides surrounded, well, two sides surrounded by Israel, one side Egypt and the other side is the sea. Uh, now, Gaza is tiny. Gaza is about, is it even three times the size of Dublin? And by that, I mean Dublin city and suburbs. Mm. It's probably not even that. It might be 40 times the size of the Phoenix Park, roughly. But it is completely densely packed. It's it's 2.3 million people. So if you think of 2.3 million people crammed into Dublin city and suburbs, basically, with, without, there, there are no green spaces. It's, it's totally decrepit buildings. It's an infrastructure that is appalling. It's rife with poverty. Over a million of the people there are children. They're under 18. Unemployment is at around 60%. Um, it's just got the worst health outcomes, the worst education, the worst everything. It's, it is an open prison. Now, Hamas has been running that. They took over. They, they won. Okay, I'll do a very brief not here to explain how Hamas became so powerful. Back in 2005, after the debacle that was then the US invasion of Iraq, the US decided that it wanted to show something out of this damn mess. And it wanted to show that the Middle Eastern countries around were paying attention and becoming democratic. So it started pushing all of the, the countries in the region, Lebanon, etc., to hold elections, hold democratic elections. And it went to Fatah, which then controlled. Fatah is basically the Palestinian Authority. It was the Yasser Arafat um, party, which was taken over then when Arafat died in 2004 by Mohammed Abbas, who is still at 87, the leader, who is ineffective, who is corrupt. And, 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 but it's a secular organization and it recognized in the Oslo Accords the right of Israel to exist. Now, Hamas came along in about 1987 or thereabouts as 
part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Its ideology is that Israel has no right to exist and that it wants to basically wipe Israel off the face of the map. It will never recognize Israel's right to exist in any capacity. Okay, so you had there the the sort of corrupt secular party of Fatah that isn't particularly effective. And then on the other side, you had these Hamas extremists. And I've seen it over and over again in, in countries I've worked in, in East Africa and in the Middle East, that when people are desperate, when they ordinary civilians are desperate, when they're starving, when they're dying from such easily preventable causes, they will go to whoever they think will help them. And so they went with Hamas. They thought at least Hamas Hamas was bringing in food, it was setting up little charities, it was giving some limited amount of medical care in Gaza, where Fatah was basically doing very, very little. So Condoleezza Rice and one of her deputies decided, and George Bush, that, look, we have to have an election. We have the Palestinian Authority has to hold an election. A number of people came back including a sort of a strongman of Fatah, a guy called Mohammed Dalan, who said, we can't hold elections in January 2006. We're not ready. If we do, Hamas will win. Bush and Condoleezza Rice completely ignored this. Even other neocons were saying, this isn't a great idea. And they said, no, we've got to have this fig leaf of, look, democratic elections. Well, of course, Hamas won. In the in, So it ended up that the, the situation was pretty much that the Palestinian people, the, the political um, situation was divided. So Fatah kept control of the West Bank, and you had Hamas that then pretty well, they, they won the election in 2006. But then there was a really bloody struggle between 2006 and 2007 between Hamas and Fatah to keep control of Gaza. So, so basically, in the end, Hamas triumphed there. And so the Palestinian Authority and Fatah, the secular party, pulled out of uh, Gaza and just moved over to the West Bank and said, okay, you know what, we will just keep control here or we'll try to keep control here. This perfectly suited Israel and it perfectly suited Benjamin Netanyahu because all he wanted was to prevent this two-state solution from coming into effect where the Palestinians would have a state that would be made up of the West Bank and, and Gaza. So he wanted to stop that from happening. And he saw the way to do that was to keep the two sides pitted against each other. So there would never be a consensus or a unity party. So he, knowing that Hamas were terrorists, knowing that they had attacked Israel over and over again, he decided, okay, we're going to let them run Gaza. And, and then meanwhile, we'll just keep building up settlements, building up settlements and whittling away the West Bank. And these fatter guys haven't got the will to fight us. So that, that was his calculation. Now, in doing so, he strengthened Hamas. Uh, Hamas, of course, had been getting assistance from Iran since they set up shop in, in 1987 when they were an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. And that's so, confirmed, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, there, there's no, Iran, even back in the, 90, the late 1980s and 90s, was giving Hamas about $130 million a year. That's, there, there's no doubt about that. Now, that is, at the moment, there's a lot of attempting to say that Iran planned this attack. So far, 
There is no evidence. It may emerge, but so far, neither the US nor Israel can find any evidence that Iran was in fact directly involved in the, the planning of these atrocities and um, that they didn't know about it in any specific detail. But they have been funding Hamas. And the reason they fund Hamas for all these decades is because they know Hamas is a thorn in the side of Israel. And Hamas is their proxy who launches attacks on Israel, et cetera, et cetera. So, so Iran is in the picture. Now, where a lot of this can get really dangerous, um, actually, you know what, I, we'll, we'll get to that down the road. So this is just to explain the situation mm. at the moment. So basically, every couple of years, Israel would do this incredibly cynical thing, which they called, their military officers called mowing the lawn, where they would go in, they, they pulled out, they had occupied Hamas up until about 2007. They pulled out, I beg your pardon, Gaza. They pulled out then, and every couple of years then, they have this, as I said, mowing the lawn thing, where they'll go back in or they not even go in they will just blast the bejesus out of certain parts of gaza they and and they, their goal is to target what they say are the military leaders of hamas but of course hundreds and hundreds of and thousands of civilians are always killed in 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 this and then of course that that all that does is drive the gaza palestinians into the arms of hamas because they've no other protector so it's it's so counterproductive, but this is how Israel has been keeping things. And mainly, as I say, they're quite happy to have these battles. They're quite happy to sustain relatively small casualties in, in small attacks if that's the price they have to pay to stop a two-state solution from take, from ever happening. And that's I mean, when I say Israel now, I mean Netanyahu. Because right. he is he and and really the fury I've spoken to so many Americans who have family members in Israel and who are Jewish and they are furious at Netanyahu because why did this happen now and that's the question why well, now that why? is the question Marion because the scale of this attack it is mind boggling that in the circumstances that you are describing that these people living that such a thing could be planned and initiated under the nose of the authorities. What's the discussion around that? Well, the discussion around that is shock and disbelief. And, and not just that Israel, which has one of the most sophisticated intelligence operations in the world, which has drones permanently over Gaza, which has surveillance permanently mm. over Gaza, which has a network of informers within Gaza, that Israel could have totally missed this. And also that American intelligence could have totally missed this. Now, there have been reports that Egypt did contact the Israeli intelligence and say something big is being planned, much as in the same way as back before 9-11 in America, there were memos being sent by Dick Clark, who was the counterterrorism czar at the time, and from the CIA saying bin Laden is determined to strike within the US. Well, of course, Bush ignored that and we had 9-11. But now there is a parallel here where if the, what the Egyptians are saying is true, and I note that Israel in the last 24 hours has gone from absolutely denying that they received any warning to Israel to, to softer denials, to saying maybe it didn't go to the right place or they warned the wrong people or whatever. So, so it's staggering that Israel missed this. Now, it happened, of course, day after the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, which was when uh, Syria and Egypt invaded Israel. And it, it was a, a, a shocking and bloody war, but Israel 
did emerge victorious and and Israel did get control of Gaza from Egypt and of the West Bank from Syria after that. So it, it, it sort of emerged almost stronger. So now, the re- why now there are multiple reasons? First of all, you have, and this is where the fingerprints of Iran may be involved. And again, I don't want to conspiracy theorize, but you also have to ask, where is Russia in all of this? Okay, so the the, the US has been pushing the Saudis and, and Israel to normalize relationships, their relations, and they've been making considerable progress here. Now, this is very alarming to Iran because they don't want that. They do not want... It, it, it's it, the reverse of my enemy's enemy is my friend. It's when my they are. It's not good for Iran to see consolidation and stability amongst sort of pro-U.S. groups within the Middle East. It strengthens America within the Middle East as they see it. The other reason I think is that Hamas saw that Israel is distracted. And this is the big reason for the fury of the Israeli people at Netanyahu. For the last year, um, Netanyahu's main goal has been to whittle away the power of the Israeli judiciary system, in particular to whittle away the power of its Supreme Court so that effectively uh, the Supreme Court can't function at all. Why does he want to do this? Because he's up on three different sets of corruption charges and he's probably heading to jail. So a bit like Donald Trump, Netanyahu was fixated on that for his own ends. The Israeli people did not want to see their Supreme Court disempowered and neutered and become a puppet of Netanyahu's. So there have been protests on the street nonstop, day in, day out, for about eight or nine months now. The Israeli army was being brought in to deal with these protests. And as well, about 80% of the Israeli army was transferred over to the West Bank because Netanyahu decided the way he was going to basically get rid of of any Palestinian dream of of autonomy in the West Bank is to keep putting in settlers, keep pushing in settlers, keep getting more and more Israelis to settle on more and more Palestinian land, including in areas like Area C, I think from the Oslo Accords in particular, and that if there was any resistance from the Palestinians, the army would go in and reinforce it. So Netanyahu had his own agenda going on here, and he took his eye off the ball with Gaza. Now, the the American situation is another part of that. The Hamas probably thought, well, America's all obsessed with Ukraine and Russia. They're dealing with that situation. They have a shit show in Congress. What are they going to do? They haven't even got a leader. Now, this would have been planned for months and months and months. There's no way that the planning for this wasn't going on because it was, it was a multi-pronged attack. It, it, it was, as we saw, we saw that they parachuted in, there were hang gliders, there were, they, they, they used bulldozers to cut through bits of the wall, etc. This was an attack. And the head guy of this, a guy called Mohammed Diaf, um, who I think his wife and son and daughter were killed by, he's long been one of the, the public enemy number one in Israel. He is the head of Hamas's military wing, and he would have been behind that. Now, his brother was killed two days ago by an Israeli bombardment, but there's no way he's in Gaza. There is no way that any of the people who plotted this are in Gaza, because they know that, they, that, that their days are numbered. So they will have gotten out long before this. They will have booby-trapped 
tunnels and buildings and everything else in Gaza in anticipation of a, an Israeli land surge. But to get back to what I was saying there, they saw that America American, America politically is in a state of chaos. They see that they would have been aware that their, the military appointments were frozen, that you, you have the situation in Congress and that you had Biden not being particularly interested in the Middle East. So they probably mm. thought, well, this is a perfect time. And then, of course, the symbolism of 50 years on from Yom Kippur. So I would say that all of those things had to do with it. But also, Hamas really wants to take over as the the com- complete sort of governing group entity of the Palestinian Authority. And, and they want the Palestinians to see or to think, well, look, Hamas is, is the only one doing anything. Abbas is twiddling his thumbs over in the West Bank as Israel is encroaching more every day. And so it's, it's a move to make them seem like the real friends of the Palestinian people, the real champions of the Palestinian people. In fact, what they have done is invite hell down on the heads of the Palestinians, yeah. in not just in Gaza, but also in the West Bank, where there's retaliation going on now already, where settlers are attacking Palestinians. And, and you have, as we said, the situation where America said Israel has to defend itself. And initially, um, for the first couple of days, I was involved in a number of Zoom calls and, and briefings. Um, and America was basically saying, that they, when I say the White House, um, the spokespeople, the surrogates, uh, were saying, well, look, Hamas did this. And Israel has a right to defend itself, which it does. But its right to defend itself has to be constrained by international law. Now, what's going on at the moment, this appalling siege of of basically it's shooting fish in a barrel. The Palestinian people, what Israel does, and this happens, they they drop what are called knock-knock bombs. They will land on the roof of a family or a building or whatever. And that's to say, we're coming back basically in five minutes to blow the shit out of this building. Or they will drop leaflets saying, get out of this area, we're about to bomb it. Or they will send texts, SMS texts to to civilians saying, we're about to bomb your street, get out. But where do they go? And Mm. this is the problem. Where Israel has launched over 2,000 attacks, the length and width of Gaza. So where do these people who have nothing go? Egypt won't let them in. Israel sure as hell won't let them in. And and their only escape would be into the sea. But but again, you have the sea is entirely blockaded. So you have 2.3 million people, over a million of whom are children, are under 18, already in a, a situation of dire poverty. They have no water now. They have no electricity. They have no food coming in because they rely on everything to come in from the outside. Um, mainly from from Israel and and through the sea. Nothing is coming in. This is a medieval siege at the moment. And the hospitals have, have, the generators are running out. So uh, meanwhile, as there is no light, no electricity, no food, no water, Israel is pounding, Israeli planes are pounding Gaza and the casualties are building up, but the hospitals cannot cope because they lack even the most basic amenities. Um, and as I said, you have people who are being told by Israel, the civilians, get out, we're going to bomb you. But there is nowhere for them to go. And I think that that is a really big problem. And I think that Israel has to, 
you have, I remember after 9-11 and when I was in New York, the sympathy of the world for America initially, and then it dissipated. And by the time America invaded Iraq, it was gone. The global goodwill was just gone because it was seen that, that the way America responded initially, it was measured, but then it just spun out of control. And I think that for Israel, that the, 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 the quartet, I suppose, well, not Russia, that doesn't exist anymore, but the quartet that tried to organize, um, Palestinians and Israels within the Middle East and to regulate it is currently behind Israel very, very much. That would be the now the US, EU and the UN. But the UN, nine UN workers have been killed in Gaza already. The UN is now warning and Antonio Guterres, who is the Secretary General, is saying this siege is unacceptable. The Human Rights Commissioner is saying you are violating international law. And if Israel keeps doing that, notwithstanding that, and the horror, we haven't really spoken about the horror and the trauma of the attacks on Israel, that you had these young people at a festival, just at a music festival. You have people living in kibbutz. Like, these are not wealthy people. These are people who are largely subsistence farmers who were butchered and slaughtered by Hamas with in, in a manner that is completely reminiscent of ISIS. And ha Hamas is on a level similar to ISIS. They are absolute ideologues. There's no secular aspect to them. They just want to destroy Israel. And I think it's really important to remember that and to understand why Israel is so shocked and traumatized and why they understandably want to eliminate Hamas, because Hamas wants to eliminate Israel. The fact it's an asymmetric war and that Israel is, has so many more resources is irrelevant because you cannot, you have to protect the first duty of any government is to protect its citizens, to keep them safe. Now, Netanyahu has utterly failed. I think he will be gone as soon as this Israeli offence is over. Benny Getz is now involved in a government of unity with him. Um, but for the purposes of prosecuting this war, I think Netanyahu's days have to be numbered because he has let the Israeli people down so badly. His whole policy and the, the logic and his reasons for behaving as he did, as I said, pitting Hamas and Fatah against each other, attacking his own Supreme Court, etc. It was all for his own ends, largely. And that has been exposed now. But the Israeli people are suffering horribly. And you have to have a huge amount of sympathy for them as well. And I think a lot of Israeli people are concerned that if their government does go into to Gaza, which looks very likely, um, and continues the siege and continues to pound from the air at the same time. We already know that there have now been, as of today when we're talking Thursday night, the number of Palestinians who have been killed has exceeded the number of Israelis who were killed in the Hamas attack. Now, that that isn't, that I, I'm not suggesting there's a tit for tat there, mm. but almost 500 Palestinian children have been killed by Israeli bombs so far. And it doesn't help because what that does again is it it turns the Palestinian people ever inward, ever back into the arms of Hamas when Hamas does need to be stamped out. And that is one thing where Israel and America and the EU are absolutely right. Hamas has done nothing for the people of Gaza other than accelerate their suffering and, ma and make their lives even more and more miserable. But the problem is, and one of the, the, the blind spots I think here is that one of the, Israel does not want Egypt to open its border because it believes that if it, Egypt opens the border to allow refugees out, that the, the 
the militants will go with them. And you know, it's probably true. The militants will try to escape. They will try to. That's how they have worked so far, that they have made themselves indistinguishable from the civilians. And then when civilians are attacked and killed, they will then blame Israel, even though they've been using them as sandbags for since 2007. They've been using them as human shields. And I think everyone needs to be really clear-eyed about the, the evil that Hamas is. Um, but, but again, you have to hope that Israel, and so far they haven't, is going to show some kind of balance. Israel seems to think that you have to go in there with a blunderbuss, that you almost have to kill everyone to get rid of Hamas. Mm. That will never work because you cannot kill an ideology. You cannot bomb an ideology. And at a certain point, Israel is just bombing rubble in, in Gaza. It's just destroying and destroying and destroying. And the more they do that, the more... The, the Palestinians who are being killed, whose children are being killed, whose families are being killed, are it's not going to to drive them towards a desire to make friends with Israel. Of course, yeah. And, in the second in the second half of our discussion, I'm going to ask Marion about the knock on effects of this for the 2024 yeah. election and the comparisons that people are making between Ukraine and Palestine. Are they legitimate? Is there something to be said in there in the hypocrisy that certain people are seeing within this? I want to get Marion's opinion on that. And also the vast amount of news that has also taken place this week in America. There's an awful lot to talk about. And the only way to hear the second half of that discussion is over on patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.